Do you guys re remember that, that Verizon commercial from a few years back? You know, the one where the, where the guy has, has got his cell phone up to his ear and he keeps saying, can you hear me now? Remember that one? And, and, and you know, they, they show him on the beach uh, and, and he's out in the tundra and he's in the middle of some kind of crowded place, but he's still making that connection. And, and you know, if you think about it, it's kind of incredible, really, that we have the technological capacity to be in touch with uh, almost anyone, anywhere, at any time, in any place, don't we? But, you know, that doesn't always mean that we're communicating any better, does it? Kind of like the uh, older couple who were celebrating their golden wedding anniversary in this kind of uh, really fancy but rather crowded and noisy restaurant, uh, and, and the husband reaches out and he takes his wife's hands across the table and he looked into her eyes and he said, Honey, after 50 years I've found you to be tried and true. But the wife's hearing wasn't very good, so she said, What? <laughs> so, so he repeated a little louder, after, after 50 years I've found you to be tried and true. And then all at once she burst into tears and drew her hand back and said, Well, that's just fine with me because after 50 years I'm tired of you too. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you see, poor, poor communication can get you into some serious trouble at times, can it? Uh, you know, and, and when, <laughs> when God speaks, we don't always listen much better, do we? But God is still speaking. God is still speaking in lots of ways. But he always speaks with the greatest clarity in the life and the ministry of Jesus. Uh, and our lectionary text today coming from John chapter 10 is going to present to us uh, a kind of flashback scene. Because even though we're still in the season of Easter and we're moving quickly to Ascension Day and Pentecost, our lectionary reading for this week is almost like a, a flashback in a film scene going back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Buddy, can you go back and turn on my lights up there? I realize now why I can't see. Uh, he's, really, he's going back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry, back to this really wonderful uh, and rich and precious portion of Scripture in which our Lord identifies himself as the Good Shepherd. Uh, the good shepherd who's calling to his sheep, just like I told the kids, calling them away from the world uh, and away from its phony teachers and into the safety of his sheepfold. But before we get to the actual text, just by way of introduction to the story here, it's important for you to know that for at least two chapters, thank you, leading up to today's reading, our Lord has been in a heated confrontation with the leaders of Israel. Uh, in fact, if you had a chance to go back uh, and look, chapter 8 ends with the words, At this point they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. So he, now he escapes this stoning, but on his way out the temple as he's leaving, as he's heading through the gate, Jesus sees this blind man. A, a blind man that, that sat at the gate to beg, because that's, that's what blind people did. That's how they lived. And we're told that the, the man had been blind from birth and that our Lord stops and heals him. But by this time now, his enemies, the Pharisees, had caught up with him. But they're kind of restrained in their rage and their anger because Jesus was standing in the midst of a crowd. A crowd whose attention had been drawn by the miracle. And so with, uh, you have to imagine, with clenched teeth and a kind of forced dignity, they walk themselves to the center of the scene but just barely disguising the loathing 
they have of our Lord's popularity and of the fact that he so publicly healed this blind man and drawn such attention to himself. And you know, since they can't attack him, since they can't attack Jesus in this highly visible setting, they decide, as angry people often do, when they can't hurt the one that they're really mad at, to vent their anger on the next easy target that they find. And so in this case, it's the poor blind man who's just been healed. So the, the Pharisees pull him off to the side, and they interrogate him, and they, they browbeat him, and they harass him, and they harass his family. But the Bible says when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the blind man answered back, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You've seen him, Jesus said, and he's speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, he said, and he worshiped Jesus. <clears throat> and then Jesus told him, I entered into the world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Now, some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, Are you saying that we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim that you see. And, you know, you have to wonder uh, at the callous hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And as you look at this story and, and these together kind of in context, the healing of this blind man, in a sense, uh, in the really big picture, is to a certain extent incidental. Uh, not incidental to the blind man that was healed, but to the big picture, which is that Jesus does this amazing, monumental miracle. Uh, a miracle that has no other explanation besides the power of God. And he preaches this incredible sermon, and it has no effect whatsoever on how the religious leaders feel about him. None. Uh, they make no move in the direction uh, of accepting Jesus and his ministry. And they listen to his words, but like I told the kids, they can't hear his voice. Because their hostility has passed the point of any return, and because of that they are now demonstrating themselves to be, in every sense of the word, false shepherds of the flock of Israel and deaf to the voice of God. And that's where our text picks up today. As Jesus, he's continuing to speak during this whole scene. And this is what he said to those around him. He said, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks in over the wall of the sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he's gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. Now, they won't follow a stranger. They'll run from him because they don't know his voice. And those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. Did I tell you the truth? I am the gate. For the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pasture. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. And my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. They know me. I have other sheep too that are not of the sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice 
and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it up again. And when he had said these things, the people were again divided in their opinions about him. So as I said in in this scene, Jesus uh, is still speaking, talking to this whole group of folks who he's been talking to since the beginning of the last chapter, uh, because they're all still there. Uh, The blind man's still there. Disciples are still there. The crowd of Jews uh, are still by that same location where the healing took place. And and we know the scribes and, and the Pharisees are still there. As Jesus launches into this description of how a good shepherd takes care of his sheep. And Jesus uses the image of a shepherd to draw a really sharp contrast between his leadership style and that of the Pharisees who were interrogating this poor blind man who had just been healed and was able to see for the first time in his life. Uh, and the idea of the, of the shepherd here for Jesus was, was very common. It was a common illustration in parables and literature of the era because if you think about it, the ancient Near East was primarily an agricultural society. So... Shepherds were everywhere. Uh, The Old Testament in particular uses the image of the shepherd to indicate God's care for Israel. Just think for a minute of probably one of the Psalms you know by heart, Psalm 23. How does it start out? The Lord is my shepherd. Right, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, The Old Testament also used uh, to refer to the kings and leaders of Israel were pictured as shepherds of the people in their role of protecting and, and defending and guiding or in their failure to do that. Uh, And sheep and shepherds have a special relationship. I know as you heard me tell the kids, and I know I've said before that in addition uh, to my grandfather's dairy farm that we lived on, my brother and I also raised sheep in a separate pasture to pay for our school clothes. And I could come home from school, get off the bus, and and call for them. They'd be clear back at the far side of, of 10 acres that pasture was, and they would come running. Because they knew I was their connection to being fed. I'm sure it's not because they loved me, right? But that's where the food comes from. So they followed my voice. Because if you've never raised sheep, you know, shepherds don't drive them from behind like cattle. They call them and the sheep follow. So remember in verses 3 through 5, we read the sheep hear and recognize the shepherd's voice. Uh, And this image comes from uh, the communal sheep pens of the Middle East and in some places where a number of townspeople and cities would be together, they'd hire a watchman to guard the sheep pen during the night, and they'd combine all of their flocks together in one big pen. Uh, And when it came time for them to go out to pasture the next day, each individual shepherd would go in uh, and call to his sheep, the ones that belonged to him in particular, and those sheep, recognizing their master's voice, would come out of the larger pen and follow him. But you know, right at the heart of this, I want you to notice that hearing as a part of this good shepherd image implies following. Because hearing the master's uh, word is more than just using your ears. It's about receiving it. It's about accepting it. It's about obeying it. Otherwise, uh, as we said in Sunday school, what in the world are any of us doing here? Right? What are we doing here? Because, you know, almost... Uh, Almost anyone can read the Bible and comprehend the words, but only a sheep can take it to heart and follow its commands. In fact, James chapter 1 makes that clear. He says, but don't just listen to the word of God. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. 
And there are tons of people who study the Bible but are only fooling themselves when they deceptively treat it as merely an academic exercise or just another book from the shelf on the library. You know, uh, that actually started with the Dutch scholar Erasmus, if you've heard of him in the 1400s. He kind of took the Latin Bible that the church was using at the time uh, and made this huge effort into tracing its origins back to the earliest Greek texts. Uh, And then he published a New Testament in the original Greek languages. And he's really credited as the first person to study the makeup of the Bible in a purely literary sense. And then that process began to catch on. And it worked its way through uh, Europe gaining strength until about the beginning of the 1700s in German universities in a field of study called historical criticism or higher criticism. That's a branch of uh, a literary analysis that began uh, treating the Bible simply as an ordinary text uh, written by ordinary men at a particular period and with a particular purpose in mind. Now, all of that in contrast with our treatment of the Bible as the inerrant word of God. And the reason they did that, they said their goal was to demythologize the scriptures and explain every supernatural element of it in a purely naturalistic sense. Give you a good example, like the the Jefferson Bible. Anybody ever heard of the Jefferson Bible? Okay. It's officially titled The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. It was a, uh, a project by Thomas Jefferson, our third president of the United States, that he completed around 1819. Uh, It's not actually a whole Bible, but an attempt at the harmony of the Gospels uh, with much of the content of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John literally cut out of the King James Version and repasted in the order that Thomas Jefferson thought was better. And removing virtually all accounts of Jesus' miracles, any allusion to the deity of Christ which he rejected, and the story of Jesus' resurrection. Now, you may never actually take a scalpel to your Bible at home, uh, but if you pick and choose the parts you wanted to believe and which parts to ignore, uh, what's the difference? Right? Or, or, or maybe you think that it's just a, an old-fashioned book. Maybe you're like Voltaire, the French Enlightenment uh, writer and historian and philosopher who just about the same time in 1776, about two years before he died, said, uh, 100 years from my day... Now, I'm not very good at math, but I'm figuring that would be 1876, right? 100 years from my day, there will not be a Bible in the earth except one that is looked upon by an antiquarian curiosity seeker. In other words, you won't find the scriptures anywhere unless you end up in uh, the back bin of an antique shop. Uh, Now, I guess he was no real prophet, was he? Because we have plenty of the Bibles around. But his words have been, in a sense, prophetic because, sadly... Many Christians today, including so-called evangelical pastors, have bought into the idea that the Bible may be a book of great moral lessons and have lots of tips for successful living, but not much more. In fact, this is scary. A recent poll finds that more than one half, so 50%, a little better than 50%, of seminary graduates to the ministry don't believe that the Bible is either accurate or infallible. Just let that sink in for a second. These are seminary graduates. And just in case you might think that's just a random statistic, uh, I'm part of an evangelical and reformed pastors association, uh, and one of the pastors in my group was involved with a separate church who is right now in our old denomination, the UCC, that we thankfully got away from, uh, is about to ordain a man that rejects categorically 
uh, every orthodox view of Christianity. He didn't believe in the virgin birth. He doesn't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. Uh, none of it. And, and our old denomination that we escaped from is about to tack the letters reverend to the front of that person's name and, and ordain him to the ministry. But, like, what's the point? Right? So that's scary. Uh, and it, but it happens, though, because those people don't hear the voice of the shepherd. Even though his voice is right inside the Bible, dripping with his words of grace from cover to cover. But the Pharisees didn't want to hear the shepherd's voice either, did they? That's why Jesus explained in more detail. We read in verse 6, those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. So he explained it to them. I said, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep didn't listen to them. And he said it again, yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved and they will come and go freely and find good pasture. Uh, and we're surrounded by gates, aren't we? Right? We, we arrive and depart at the airport through gates. Uh, in order to get to that gate, you've got to go through a security gate first. Right? You catch a, a train or a subway, you have to go to an electronic ticket gate. Uh, and, and I know a lot of you guys have security gates on your entrances to your park, right? To, to keep people out. Or Ken read a story yesterday about it being to keep people in. I wasn't, I'm not sure whether it's for whose public safety it's for, but, but either way, uh, here Jesus in this conversation with the disciples and the Jewish religious leaders identifies himself as the gate. And notice he doesn't say he's a gate, but he's the gate, meaning that uh, if you're going to get to God, you've got to go through Jesus because there isn't access to God any other way. And Jesus is opening up uh, to his followers, a new understanding of who he is in these verses, and it would be easy for you to miss. You know, I told you just a few minutes ago about how townspeople and city folks in, in those villages kept their sheep safe through the night uh, until they heard the voice of their shepherd at dawn to call him out, but not everybody lived in cities. So our Lord refined his sermon illustration by talking about a second way that sheep are kept, and that's the country way. Now, in the countryside, uh, a shepherd would, would herd his sheep into a box canyon or, uh, in many cases, into this low-walled uh, section of dry stacked stone shaped like a letter C, like a big letter C with a small opening at the front. Uh, but either way, at night, since there was no actual gate, just an opening, the shepherd would literally lie down across the opening to keep the sheep in and wild animals out. So he would literally become the gate or the door of the sheep. And so Jesus now refers to, to both of these in this text for two distinct reasons. First, Jesus is trying to expose the false teachings and the motives of the Pharisees while at the same time introducing himself as the true path to God. That's why verses 1 through 5, Jesus is trying to help people understand that the Pharisees weren't really their faithful leaders, but false teachers, and that only people who would care for them like he does are actually their spiritual caregivers. Uh, and Jesus made a, a clear indictment here concerning the teachers of the law and the Pharisees who regarded themselves as the people's shepherds. But he's saying true shepherds come by way of the gatekeeper, and that's our Lord. They come through the gatekeeper to care for you, but the Pharisees are thieves and robbers who are trying to lead you astray. And I think it's interesting, if you really look at the verse, Jesus calls them both thieves and robbers because there's a difference. 
Think about it for a minute. A thief is, is someone who steals with, with stealth and, and scheming, and they hide their, the loot they take under their coat, right, in secret. But a robber is someone who takes by violence at the point of a knife or at a gun. And, and the association that Jesus is making with the leaders of Israel and by extension, the false leaders and religious hacks of our day is that as false teachers, they can either use cunning deception to use people, lead people astray, or sometimes they do it through force and manipulation. Uh, Paul warned the Ephesian elders about the same thing. He wrote in Acts 20, I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up to distort the truth in order to draw following. And you know, I think it's important to understand the message here is that there are many false teachers in this world and some of them, either knowingly or unknowingly, are leading people astray. Because in fact, I dare say, even the vast majority of Pharisees thought they were doing the right thing by harassing Jesus. Think about that for a minute. But they were dead wrong, weren't they? And the reason they were wrong was because they weren't hearing the voice of the shepherd. You see, they had truths, but not the truth. They had beliefs, but no faith. Uh, they had a religion they were founded in, but not a relationship. And many, many sheep blindly follow them. Uh, and it's not a coincidence that Jesus refers to people as sheep, because uh, like sheep, we can at times be really dumb, can't we? Right? Uh, we'll follow someone because their teaching tickles our ears or because they rub our tummies, not realizing that they're leading us on the wrong path. And it's imperative. It's imperative that we learn to identify a shepherd from God as opposed to a false shepherd. Uh, remembering that the truth of God for pastors in the pulpit or for people in the pews can only come through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Any other way makes him a thief and a robber, Right? Uh, the Christ who, who calls to himself a people and who speaks words of life. That's why uh, he said in our verse today in John 10, he said the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Jesus said he's, he's called us to come to the gate, the gate that leads to a life of security, a life that's full. In fact, if you read the King James Version, that verse says, uh, I'm come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. A life that's full. A life that's abundant. It's about uh, more than just getting your ticket stamped for heaven. Uh, and it's about more than that health and wealth gospel that's out there. Jesus is talking about more than just giving us time to fill or uh, talking about giving us uh, those material things we think we need. He's talking about giving us our scarcely imagined, our most significant and meaningful and richest and brightest and completest life that we could ever imagine. And that only comes through an eternity in His presence. And that only comes through the abundant forgiveness we receive when we respond to the voice of the shepherd and receive His sacrificial death and resurrection. Uh, and so the utterly crucial question for each of us to ask ourselves this morning is, are we one of His sheep? Are we one of his sheep? Are you one of Christ's sheep today? Have you accepted him at his word? Because when Jesus speaks to us, he's referring to the things of God. He's talking about a relationship lived in his presence, lived on his terms. Because brothers and sisters, uh, if you don't believe the scriptures as the word of God, if you don't accept them as the actual word of God, uh, if you're not living according to their precepts, what in the world would you want to go to heaven for? 
Did you ever think about that? No. <laughs> well, you think about it, right? What in the world would you want to go to heaven for? I mean, seriously, if you can't bring yourself to live for God according to his word for the few short years you have here on this earth, how would you ever endure an eternity in his home and glory? Right? You see, Jesus claims require a decision and he doesn't have any room for fence sitters. That's why we read in our text uh, in verse 19 when Jesus said these things, the people were again divided in their opinions about him. Because Jesus, uh, when he spoke, he never sought to be politically correct. Uh, he didn't say what people wanted to hear, but he always said what was true. In love, genuine love, but what was true. He didn't adapt himself to people he expected them to adapt to God's truth that he spoke. The truth that he is the good shepherd and he is calling to himself a flock of sheep from every tribe and tongue and nation in the world. And what you need to ask yourself today is, are you one of them? Do you really hear the voice of the shepherd? Have you really entered in through the sheep gate into the pasture he offers at his table and in his word and here in worship? Can you really say in the words of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, right? And if you can't, listen for his voice as we pray together. God, our Father, we ask that you would, uh, would send your son's presence by the power of your spirit, that you would uh, just walk through this place today, Lord, that you would call to yourself uh, the sheep of your pasture, the lambs of your flock, that you would uh, remove hearts of stone, that you would open blind eyes, uh, that you would unstop deaf ears, that the Holy Spirit may speak your words of truth. And we thank you, uh, Father, for all that you're about to do for us this week uh, in us and through us to the glory of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.